It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis of MLBPipeline.com. On the podcast this week, we're going to talk about uh, the top 10 high school talent as far as this summer goes. Looking forward to next June's draft as well as college also. Jonathan and Jim with articles out on Pipeline about that. We're also going to check in on a couple of Yankees pitching prospects as we had one of our... uh, Former producers make a run and and get some interviews with some Trenton Thunder players, so we'll check in on those players as well. Let's start, though, guys, with the uh, summer talent, and we'll start on the high school side with Jonathan, and obviously the the showcase circuit kind of coming to a close. We had the Under Armour game. We had the perfect perfect game, All-American Classic, all of that stuff, and when it's all said and done and you see – who performed, Jonathan? You've come out with a, a top ten list, and checking in at number one is Bryce Terang. Is that different than what you would have said before the summer started? No, no. It's one of those rare instances where the guy coming in to the start of the summer who is considered to be the top high school guy, if not the top guy overall, uh, remains uh, in that spot. And uh, you know, if we were going strictly based on performance alone. Terang probably wouldn't be number one. He didn't blow people away uh, with his performance, but he did nothing to detract from that evaluation that he was the top guy. Uh, he is definitely a shortstop long-term. He even showed that he can slide over to second base and, and play above average plus defense at second, even though he'd never really played there uh, before, but uh, moved around quite a bit for, for USA baseball purposes. Uh, he's got a good approach to the plate. He's got good speed. There's power to come. Uh, so we're talking about a guy who's got a ton of tools and is going to play a premium position for a long time. And, and, you know, while he didn't, you know, win any home run derbies or, or you know, hit 900 or anything like that, he just was really, really, really good. And uh, will be at the top of most people's boards heading into the spring. I was going to say, I did not get to see Trent. He was the only guy on Jonathan's list who was not at the Under Armour game. Although I, I did talk to a number of people about him. And, in fact, when we did the mock draft for 2018, as soon as the 2017 draft was over, I, I, I did have him going with the number one overall pick. Well, I can't remember who had the number one overall pick at the point. But it's, I basically had him compared, I mean, echoing what Jonathan said, kind of compared to Mickey Moniak. But a Mickey Moniak who can play shortstop and might have a little bit more pop in his bat. And that, that's a pretty good player. Now, Jonathan, uh, you have Ethan Hankins at two, Kumar Rocker at three, and and I believe Rocker, before the summer started, would have been the top pitching guy, right? What did Hankins do to uh, jump into that spot? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're you know, as I wrote in the story, they, they, they're almost one and one A uh, in, in terms of top pitchers. Uh, Hankins just was consistently... Rocker was also good. I mean, two power arms. Um, I think uh, what made Hankins take the leap forward is he commanded the ball a little bit better. 
had a, a much better breaking ball uh, than people had said coming in. Um, but, you know, Rocker showed uh, showed a pretty good breaking ball at, as well at, at times, and, and both have pretty easy, uh, easy power uh, as well. So, um, you know, in a lot of ways are comparable. I think it's going to be fun to watch the two of them in the spring. Um, you know, Rocker is a little more physically mature. Hankins has some projectability to him. So, you know, there might be more to come. Uh, you know, so a lot of people think that he may be, you know, the, the, the guy who's the top arm in this class next year. I was just going to say, it's going to be fun, like Jonathan said, to watch those guys because I do think coming into summer they were 1-1A. One one They're still 1-1A. One one They're both Georgia product, products. So they're going to get compared to each other from now until next June. Uh, and it's going to be fun to watch. Both those guys did look very good at the Under Armour game. Uh, you know, started the game uh, for both teams and looked very good in the first inning. Jonathan, one more question for you about this list, and that is, and maybe it's not even somebody on the list, but somebody that just missed out on the list, but was there someone this summer who kind of came from off the radar and put themselves right in the middle of things as far as being a first-round type talent next spring? <sighs> Yeah, it's a, it's a hard one to answer just because, uh, you know, even for, for my vantage point, we covered the draft, everyone's off the radar until the summer starts. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, uh, I, you know, if I had to pick a guy who probably has jumped up uh, the most, uh, you know, one arm and one back sort of come to mind, Matt Libertor um, is a guy who really, really improved his uh, – his stock because he's not a pure power guy. Uh, he's got plenty of stuff, but you know, he's more of a pitchability guy. He really knows how to pitch. He's got three pitches he can throw for strikes. So he, he jumped way up because he, uh, showed a consistent mastery of, of his, his, you know, above average stuff. And then Nolan Gorman is a guy who was kind of like a, a pure raw power guy, but how is he going to hit? He kept doing really, really well in home run derbies. And that, you know, in and of itself isn't anything, but then, you know, then it showed up in games. He homered in the perfect game, uh, you know, all American classic, uh, you know, so he now suddenly is a guy who is of much more interest because it looks like the power uh, is legitimate and will play. There's some holes in his swing. He's got a really strong arm. Uh, for third base as well. Uh, so uh, those are two guys who probably, like, coming in weren't top ten and then now are. All right, let's switch over to the college side of things. And uh, surprise, surprise, a University of Florida pitcher at the top of the list because that never happens, Jim. Uh, but Brady Singer checks in at number one for you, the right-handed pitcher at Florida. But he didn't pitch this summer, right? It's just a, a matter of he was the top guy heading into the summer and he will be the top guy heading out of it. Yeah, I mean, the, the college scene's a little bit different than the high school scene in which the high school guys are all, you know, unless they're, you know, maybe injured like Joey Wentz was a couple of years ago and he hit and didn't pitch, the high school guys are all showing their wares all summer, whereas Florida, you know, Brady Singer pitched, you know, 100-plus innings, you know, while winning the College World Series, helping the Gators win their first national title, and there was really no more need to pile extra innings on him, but... Yeah, I mean, he's he's clearly the number one guy. I mean, I think, you know, it'll be interesting. If the draft were today, it would be an interesting debate. You know, Terang is the up-the-middle guy. You know, those are hard to find. 
would probably – I think if we were doing a list today, Jonathan, we'd probably rank Terang one, Singer two, wouldn't you think? I, I think so. Just, you know, we, we, we both tend to like up the middle guys, especially with the upside. And early on, I think we would lean towards the, the guy with, with more ceiling, not taking anything away from Brady Singer. But I think when push comes to shove, and not that there's any consensus whatsoever at this point, uh, you would you would take a, a you know an up the middle player over over a starting pitcher even as one as as good as Brady Singer. Yeah, and you know, and so the interesting thing is going to be you know I think Trang might rank a little bit higher you know overall or or get the slight edge, but teams want that quicker return and they want the college pitcher, so you still might see Brady Singer go number one. I mean, the interesting thing will be you know this will be the third year in a row that we'll have a Florida pitcher as the top college pitcher and a number one overall candidate coming into the draft. Uh, two years ago was A.J. Puck, and last year's Alex Fajardo. And both of those guys, it seemed like the more they were under the microscope, the more people nitpicked at them, and then they slid in the draft. And then as soon as they got into pro ball, people were saying, man, wish we would have drafted that guy higher. Because both A.J. AJ Puck's been very, very good this year. You could argue he might be the best left-handed pitching prospect in the minors. And Alex Fajardo was untouchable in at the College World Series and, and looked like the guy everybody thought he would be. But, you know, Singer... You, know, you mentioned Matt Libertor, Jonathan, and he's our guy. I got to see at the Under Armour game. I actually got to see him for three innings because the game went extras. And Singer has, you know, he, he has more arm strength than Libertor, and he's a righty versus a lefty. But he, but he reminds you that the similarity between the two is that Singer can just really, really pitch. I mean, his fastball usually sits 92, 94. And, you know, there's a lot of guys who throw 95 plus, and Singer can touch a 96. But it's more effective because he, he has the combination of nasty life. And yet he can put it where it wants, which which is not easy to do when it has that much movement. And then he's got a slider, which again, it's not AJ Puck's slider or Alex Fajardo's slider, where it's just nasty. But he has just such great feel for changing the shape and the velocity on it. So it's like you know three different sliders right. in the course of a game, and you, you just don't know what's gonna you know which one you're gonna get. So it's like good stuff, and he can really really pitch. And he is uh, you talk to anybody, and they mean this in a good way. He is mean on the mound. Like like scouts like his makeup. He he is not going to give in to you on the mound. Isn't isn't that something that one thing that to me sort of sets him apart from his predecessors, Puck and Fayedo? Uh, both Puck and Fayedo had some sort of command related questions. Uh, and Singer is it seems a at, at least at this point a much more polished product than uh, than either of them two were at the at the time. So I wonder. You know, nitpicking wise, uh, if it's not going to be the same kind of thing because he is able to locate his stuff so much better than they could. Um, I think that's definitely the case with Puck. With Fido, I think it was more that his velocity was down because you know Fido was really the best yeah. pitcher on the team during Puck's draft year, and it was you know, Fido just had the weird deal where he, he pitched with Team USA during the summer, and then he needed arthroscopic surgery on both knees during the fall, so he was behind on his throwing program, and it just seemed like it took a while for his velocity to pick up. I mean, I actually lucked into seeing him in a game during the season when I was visiting my alma mater at Georgia, and he kind of sat 92-94 and threw a bolo to sliders, but it wasn't, like, overpowering. And, and then you saw him in Omaha, and he was throwing a little bit harder, and the slider was just untouchable. And, I mean, TCU, you know, arguably had as good a team as anybody in the country. I think they were everybody's preseason number one. And they might have won the College World Series, except they faced Fido twice and didn't score off him either time. So it will be interesting. I mean, I, I do think even <laughs> – even if he does slip a little bit next year, if if teams are going to be telling themselves, man, we we you know kind of moved Puck and Fido down our boards a little bit, and, and maybe we shouldn't have. So 
Uh, you'll be curious to see what happens with Singer this spring. He, he was a lot of fun to watch in Omaha. As far as lefties go, you have Shane McClanahan as your top lefty, number two overall, another guy who didn't pitch this summer. Uh, your number three guy, Jim, is Casey Mize, who did pitch for Team USA, but he got shut down with a tired arm. Uh, is that something that hurts him at all, or is it just, hey, you you know, he pitched the college season, then the summer, obviously the arm is going to need a rest at some point? No, I mean, it's a concern because it, it's interesting. I mean, Brady Singer was a second-round pick of the Blue Jays out of high school, and Blue Jays didn't sign him over a failed physical. Uh, McClanahan, you know, missed his freshman year after having Tommy John surgery. Uh, and Casey Mize got shut down during the spring and, and missed the start also with a tired arm. I mean, it's it'll be interesting to see how these guys, you know, Singer's had no problems with Florida. McClanahan, you know, pitched about 80 innings this year. Uh, as they were building him back up, and he was, you know, mid-90s, very interesting guy. And, you know, Mize, I had a scouter tell me, Mize might have the best combination of stuff. He's got a, a 93. He probably throws a tick harder than Singer, and he's got a splitter that could just be filthy. He might have the best combination of stuff and command, but you, you have, you know, this question about him getting shut down a couple times. So, you know, obviously health is a big part of trying to figure out what to do with pitchers and, and how these guys, you know, are able to come out next spring and, and take the ball every weekend uh, will play a big part. It, it, you know, the college list, it was interesting because I don't know how much you, you followed college over the summer. I, I thought Jonathan did a real nice job with high school list. I'd seen a number of those guys at Under Armour and had talked to some scouts about him before. And, and you know, they, you know they, his order made a lot of sense to me. And in the college order, I felt pretty good about having the right 10 guys or, you know, maybe nine of the 10 if you want to quibble out some at the end. But you really could almost throw the guys in any order because of the – the questions, you know, if you want to count Singer's failed pistol in high school with the questions about the health of the three pitchers at top. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, the top position guy you have is Nick Mag- Magical, uh, second base shortstop at Oregon State. Now, that jumps out to me because when you think of guys that are going to go real high in the draft, you think they, they have to be a guy who can stick at shortstop. So is that something that's true of him? Yeah, you know, and that's an interesting question. And, and you know, Nick Madrigal, you know, they, you know, <laughs> He's a tough one to figure out, too. I, I, I do think he'd be the consensus top position prospect as we try to reflect the consensus. But I think if you surveyed 30 teams, I don't think, like, Nick would be getting, you know, 20 votes. I think he'd be getting, having a bunch of guys getting votes. And, you know, Nick is, is five foot seven, 160 pounds. Um, he moved off shortstop this year to second base, in part because of that, that great Oregon State team that only lost six games all year, although they, they lost only two times I saw him play live at the College World Series to get eliminated. Uh, Kaden Grenier, who is the shortstop on Team USA also, is a very good shortstop. He's the one who pushed Madrigal to second. So it wasn't like Madrigal was incapable of playing shortstop. Oregon State just thought they had a better shortstop. You know, the question becomes, you know, I think his arm, if you're grading out, is probably closer to average. And you don't see a lot of, you know, real top-notch shortstops with just an average arm. So I, I think it, it, you could maybe have – you know, you're probably looking at a guy who'd be a respectable shortstop or a really good second baseman. So, you know, I'm sure whoever gets him will probably run out as a shortstop. Because of the size, you're going to get some David Eckstein comparisons. He's got a much better arm than David Eckstein, who, who probably had a, a 40 arm and basically had to max effort it, you know, and, and made it work. You know, Madrigal can really hit. He puts the bat on the ball. He's, he's not going to be a power guy at his size, but he's not just a punchless guy either. And depending on who you talk to, he's a plus runner. Or he might even be a plus-plus runner. Yeah, you know, he really, you know, he's a good eye at the plate, smaller strike than obviously a smaller guy. So you're going to bat him at the top of the lineup. So he's interesting. But like you said, Tim, I mean, he might be a second baseman. That might be where he's destined to be. 
and he's 5'7", 160. I don't know how many times a 5'7", 160 second baseman was your first college position player taken, but, you know, it's an interesting college crop position-wise. I think there's more depth than usual, but you could probably talk to five different people and maybe get five different answers as to who the best college position player is. Yeah, if you keep in mind, if you keep in mind about the college crop, we have to remember, you look back at last year, uh, and there were certain guys that were considered to be, you know, at or near the top, but, you know, Adam Hazley was not one of those guys. Keston Hiora kind of hit his way up to the top without being able to play a position at all. So I think that's the one area, maybe because there tends to be a, a dearth of college position players. Uh, but if there are guys who are, you know, even if they're not top 10 right now, well thought of, who go out and perform, if they're in a, you know, at a top program and a top conference, those guys are going to rise to the top. So I, you know, I can almost guarantee that there are a lot of college bats not on that list who will we, be, we will be discussing as potential top 10 picks as we get closer to next June. Yeah, plenty of time for this all to shake out before next June. Uh, before we move on to uh, the couple of Yankees prospects we want to talk about, we want to take a second to tell you about the Fantasy 411 podcast. Want to win your fantasy league this year? Whether you're playing 10-team head-to-head against your friends or a 20-team expert dynasty format, Fred Zinke and Matthew Leach can give you the edge. Last week's episode broke down when it's the right time to drop a fading or injured star, so that's a must-listen for anyone holding Bryce Harper, Miguel Cabrera, or Dustin Pedroia right now. Before you set your lineup or hit the waiver wire, subscribe the Fantasy 411 podcast on Apple Podcasts today. All right, well, our former Pipeline podcast producer, Danny Wexelman, who has moved on to other exciting things here in the MLB.com family, um, is giving back to the podcast. She uh, <laughs> stopped in in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, on her way to Williamsport for the Little League Classic last weekend uh, and caught up with some Trenton Thunder pitchers, uh, Justice Sheffield and Dylan Tate. So Sheffield obviously trying to come back from injury. Tate had actually just made his second start in Trenton. So we're going to talk about those guys. But first, let's hear a little bit from Danny's interview with each of them, starting with Justice Sheffield. You're rehabbing right now. Not the most fun thing in the world, but how's it going? Give me an update on that. Um, Right now it's going good. Um, No setbacks. Um, You know, I got off the mound today. It's been a while since I've been off the mound. I think uh, like 43 days, something like that, since I've actually pitched off the mound. So, um, you know, it felt good. Um, just got to keep keep pushing forward and, um, you know, making progress. And, um, you know, I'll be out there soon. You guys have one of the top farm systems. You're surrounded by a lot of talented guys. Does that push you to want to play better and be better all around? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, when you're with a group of guys who, you know, want to be in New York and, you know, want to play, play a part in, in that team, um, you know, it just kind of drives you, um, especially being out here with these guys every day. We have a good team here in Trenton, so um, our pitching staff has been good all year. So, um, you know, it definitely drives me to, you know, want to pitch better and, um, you know, help my team win. What were you working on before you got injured? What are you trying to improve? Yeah, this year's main thing, uh, my main focus was uh, pitching deep in the games, uh, keeping the pitch count low. Um, in the past, you know, I've had trouble with, you know, getting through five innings, and, you know, oh five and dive, which, um, you know, you get in the big leagues, be a lot tougher, you know, uh, more tough hitters and things like that. So um, this year, um, you know, I was working on um, just pitching even the game. In the first half, you know, I felt like I accomplished that uh, pretty well. You know, I was going to move on with that in the second half and, you know, uh, keep the keep the walks down a little bit more than, than I should have. But, um, you know, that was the main thing, just uh, showing them that I can be a starting pitcher. 
Good stuff there from Sheffield. And I mentioned Dylan Tate. He actually pitched on Friday night, his second start for Trenton since his promotion to double A. Danny caught up with him on Saturday afternoon. Kind of tell me how are things going? What's uh, something that stands out to you so far? Um, right now, things are going just okay, but I mean, it's a learning process right now. But um, some of the things that stand out to me are the hitters are a bit more selective than the previous level, and um, their knowledge of the game and as far as uh, pitch sequences go is a little bit more advanced than where I was before, and uh, they, they hit the ball harder. So that's, that's uh, different from the previous level. And uh, you're enjoying a lot of success right now. I hope you're enjoying it a little bit anyway. Uh, you're having a lot of success this season. Is there an adjustment that you've made, something that you've changed to get to where you are right now? I wouldn't say I'm having a lot of success. I mean, I'm having a little taste of what it's like. But um, made some adjustments here and there with my delivery and um, hand positioning and that's helping me stay on top of the ball and be able to drive the ball down. So some adjustments there and uh, more to come. Okay. And you were traded from the Rangers. Uh, was that something that you embraced coming to the Yankees? Did you find it a little bit difficult adjusting? What was that like for you? I didn't find it too difficult to adjust, and that's mainly because the guys that I came into really with the new group of guys were um, – they were just really welcoming. So I got really lucky and having a, a good group of guys to be around. So that made the transition a lot easier. All right, guys, both thoughtful answers, good answers. Um, the feedback I got from Danny from being there was that Justice Sheffield was a joy. Uh, and Jonathan and Jim, you could both talk about this, but I want to start with Jonathan. That's something you've told me as well, that Sheffield is just a, a great guy to be around. Yeah, Tim, I, uh, I got a chance to talk to Sheffield. Uh, must have been 2016 spring training when I was in Indians camp, obviously, before the trade. And uh, he was just a delight to, to talk to. I didn't know what to expect. I've ever spoken to him before and uh, was one of the better prospect interviews I've ever done. Just was a really good and thoughtful conversation. And uh, one of the things I kind of like about him is that he has a little chip on his shoulder. I like guys like that. Not, not in a nasty way at all, but... Uh, you know, because he's not the biggest guy in the world, he felt that he's always had to kind of try to prove himself to people, and that serves as a motivator for him, and I think it will continue to do so. I hope he gets back from injury okay and finish the season off well because he had been uh, he had been throwing well, uh, you know, for most of this year and was, you know, moving in the right direction. And I think if and when he gets to New York, uh, fans and media are going to love him because he, he is such a good and thoughtful interview. Yeah, he hasn't pitched since July 5th, but it's an oblique strain, which I guess the good news is it's not an arm-related thing. Uh, Jim, how far away do you think Justice Sheffield is once he gets healthy and back on track? Obviously, he'd be a lot closer if he hadn't missed the last couple of months. Yeah, I mean, he still, I think, needs to fine-tune his control and command. I mean, the the, the breaking ball uh, has gotten better. You know, he, he's got a pretty good slider, and he can also throw a curve, and he's got a solid fastball with some run and sink. I think it's just that consistency. And, and really, I mean, it could be, you know, if you told me he made the jump in June next year that he took another step forward, I mean, you could see that. And, you know, if it was more, you know, early 2019, that could be also, you know, because he's missed some time this year. But he, he's not too far away. Uh, you know, I think 
you know, in terms of the Yankees pitching prospects, you know, Chance Adams would be next in line to, to get a chance in the rotation. Uh, no pun intended. Honestly, no pun intended. Um, but uh, Sheffield isn't too far off. Yeah, and it's uh, it, it's interesting. Um, Tate, what I what stood out to me, and you heard it a little bit in that clip we played, but having listened to the entire interview that Danny did, uh, she kept kind of trying to praise him for you know making the move to Double A and and getting used to it and all this stuff, and he kept kind of saying, "Well, you know, I've been okay, but I got to do this, and I've, you know, sometimes it's all right, but I got a lot of work to do." You could tell um, that. Maybe if he wasn't humble when he was a very high pick, he's become humble in his time in the minor leagues. And, Jim, he's a guy you've caught up with in the past as well. Yeah, I think the same spring training that Jonathan talked to, to Justice Sheffield, I talked to Dylan Tate. You know, they were both with a different organization at the time. Tate was with the Rangers. And, you know, he he was pretty humble then, too. He was very introspective. He was a very good interview. I like Jonathan and I have had a, a lot of luck, or maybe just everybody's really good interviews. But uh, that, that struck me the last two or three spring trainings. And, you know, it was interesting because the day I saw him pitch, he was 94-97 with a filthy slider. And then, you know, lo and behold, a couple months later, we're hearing about how his stuff's down and the Rangers traded him real quick and kind of an enigma. You know, we, I don't know, Jonathan, if you saw him at all in the fall league, he pitched some, but it was kind of brief one-inning stints. And, you know, he, he, he splashed the stuff at times. Uh, you know, the, the mid-90s fastball, the upper 80s slider that made him, you know, the number four overall pick in 2015. Um, you know, and he, but, he, you know, you look at the numbers, they've been good, but not dominant. Uh, I, I still am trying to figure out what exactly to make of him. Now, I'm actually a tiny bit surprised that he's still starting. Um, I kind of expected that the Yankees would have moved him to the bullpen by now. Uh, but you know, and I, I understand from a development standpoint, you want to exhaust every possibility of a guy starting, unless you think there's absolutely no chance. And you know, he has shown that he has uh, the stuff to do it. But because there wasn't a track record in college, uh, a lot of people wondered whether or not he'd be a starter long term. And then the struggles he had in his first full season, I think, added to that. So I, I was somewhat expecting the Yankees to kind of flip that switch, uh, but but they haven't as of yet. So. Uh, I still think there's a chance he ends up in the bullpen, but we'll have to see. He's righted the ship a little bit, it seems like, though, right, guys? Since he came over to the Yankees, um, it seems like, I don't know if a change of scenery or what, but is his stuff, has it ticked back up to what it once was, Jim? At times, you, you'll see that stuff. I mean, he's still not missing a ton of bats. Um, you know, I, and getting back to what John was saying, I mean, I think one of the reasons he may be starting I mean, other than you know, you're going to give the guy the chances, he just hasn't pitched a lot of innings as a pro either. I mean, they, they may just want to get him some innings because he, he yeah. missed time last year. But like I said, he's he's hard to figure out. Even guys that's on fall league, it was, it was brief stints, and there are times where he looked pretty good. Um, but, you know, usually, you know, I mean, this is a guy who when he was at UCSB was 92-98 with a slider in the upper 80s that was unhittable. Um, and, you know, he's you know, got 51 strikeouts and 70 innings. Uh, you know, and he only, you know, they, he started the season uh, slowly. Uh, I think he had some, some minor shoulder issues, so he missed the first two months of the season. But, you know, he's only pitched, you know, 11 starts, 70 innings the last time I checked. Uh, so, that, you know, you know I'll be, we may see him in the fall league again. I guess those rosters will get announced soon. But, I mean, that's a guy who would kind of be a natural to be in the fall league. You know, Justice Sheffield perhaps as well because he's missed time. All right. Well, one more thing I wanted to touch on before we say goodbye for this uh, edition of the podcast is that on Sunday, the Phillies uh, started J.P. Crawford at third base. 
for the first time in his pro career down in AAA, and he continued to swing a hot back bat. He was three for five in that game. He's been really good lately after a slow start to the season, but uh, September call-ups are coming soon. Is this a obvious kind of play to that, Jonathan, that, hey, we're going to call this guy up in September. We need to get him in the lineup somewhere, and third base is maybe our best option, so let's get his feet wet? I, I, I guess so. Um you know, I didn't have a chance to sort of try to talk to people in the Phillies front office. I, you know, I think more and more you're seeing teams realize that positional flexibility is not a bad thing. Um, but, you know, he, he's always profiled as a shortstop long-term. This isn't a guy that's like, oh, he can't play short. So uh, I'm not sure what the, the, the total reasoning is behind it, other than maybe find more ways to get his bat into, you know, into the lineup. Uh, you know, he always, you know, until this year, it kind of struck me as the kind of guy that you make room for, but he really struggled for a good part of the first half of this year. And, uh, and frankly, he never really put up great numbers in the minors. I was never that concerned. He was always young for the level. Still is really, really young. Um, you know, the fact that he started to bring the bat around, maybe they were looking towards, you know, towards that September call-up and wanting to let him continue to swing the bat so they can move him uh, – back and forth between both uh, both positions on the left side of the infield. I mean, profile-wise, he fits better at short, right, Jim? I mean, he's, he's no, not no a big question. power guy. Yeah, no quite. I'm a Jonathan. I don't understand it at all because it's not like the guy's bat is so good that it's like, oh, we got to get the guy's bat in the lineup. I mean, if you can play a guy at third, maybe you play Scott Kingery at third. You know, if you're looking to get a guy, you know, Phillies are looking for an infielder to get, yeah. to get the bat in the lineup, but no, I mean, and Johnson was exactly right. I mean, one of the best things about J.P. Crawford, even when he didn't hit, was still one of the best things about J.P. Crawford, is that he can really play shortstop really, really well. Um, so you take, if you put him at third, you're, you're losing the value he brings you at shortstop. And then I just don't see how the bat profile at third base at all with the way he's played the last couple of years. I mean, as you mentioned, he, he's played better as of late. But, you know, I mean, I think even if you're going to be, you know, let's give him the benefit of the doubt, he's young and, I mean, what are you going to project him out as, Jonathan? Like right now, if you're going to go on the high side, maybe like a 270 hitter with 12 home runs a year, like that's right, not yeah. even even at his best. Let's say let's say that let's say the bat is a tiny bit better than the 270. Even let's say it does click finally, but he's uh, he's 12 to 15 homers at best. That's yeah, you know, and you're talking about a guy who could be a gold glove, a gold glove shortstop. So yeah. <laughs> like I, I I'm basically I, I don't I don't get that one at all. To be honest with you, I really don't. Well, maybe it's a very short-term move. We will uh, certainly see. And I would think the way he's hit lately, he we will definitely um, see him at some point in the month of September up with the Phillies. Why not? Um, that'll do it for another edition of this Pipeline podcast. Thanks to Jonathan and Jim, as always, for joining us. We will be back with you next time on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 